Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. In a time of division, the one thing that we can all agree on is that our system is broken. We must challenge the norms and find ways to truly reform the way we select our representation by getting money out of politics and by changing the way we vote. Today on the Spent the Rent podcast, we are joined by two of Lane County's most dedicated citizens, doing their part to use their platforms to bring about change that can help us all get our voices heard a little louder. Coming up next, the executive director of Equal Vote, Sarah Wolf, and the chair of the Democratic Party of Oregon Small Business Caucus, James Barber. Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Self-Esteem Bo Willie. My guests today are Sarah Wolf and James Barber. A little uh, back history of who you are. Sarah Wolf is the executive director of Equal Vote, works uh, with Star Voting. We'll get to that in a little bit. James Barber, as, as my audience knows, is on the show quite a bit. He just sits and waits for us to do another episode in the back room. And so uh, James Barber is the chair of the Oregon Democratic Party Small Business Caucus, among many other things. We'll get to kind of more of that. Also, full disclosure, James is the is the uh, our title sponsor is Oregon Cash Flow Pro, and James is the person that runs that. So if you're interested in money management advice, go check out James's website. It's in the show notes, OregonCashFlowPro.com. Thank you guys for being here. Always glad to be here. You Absolutely. Had, you had to think about it. You're like, you know. <laughs> So this is big. Sarah, you were back. I don't even remember when it was uh, before the yeah. midterm elections with star voting and it narrowly got defeated. But now you didn't let it bring you down and kept working. And we got some exciting news about the changes and the progress because it's going to be back on the 2020 ballot. And so and if you're unfamiliar with star voting and you're listening to this, go back and listen to that episode because we really went into depth and we'll talk about it a little bit, but just pause this now and go listen to the star voting episode I did with Sarah and Mark Frommeyer. And so you can really understand what we're talking about. And then, because we're going to, you'll have to know that stuff. Yeah. And just super short recap. Basically, the idea with star voting is you should be able to vote your conscience without wasting your vote. And then our voting system, it would be great if it was accurate and fair. So currently, none of those things are the case. All we need to do is switch to a more expressive voting method. So it's a five-star ballot, five stars best, zero stars worst. Just like an Amazon rating or TripAdvisor or whatever, you know. So if you have no support, it's zero. Full support is five. Exactly. And we really covered it a lot in, in that interview back in the day. So back in the day. It was like May or something. I don't remember when it was. Good so, for the recap, though, because like I never stop and go listen to the previous 
podcast. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So I'm we, not we're, sure. We're going to get into star voting and the progress later in the episode. And so we will definitely kind of go over again, like exactly what that means and how that works and maybe some of the changes, because there was things that were really unclear. The biggest issue on the ballot was that the way that it was written star voting, which stands for score, then automatic runoff was not included on the ballot. It just said amend the constitution to have a score than automatic runoff and never mentioned star voting. Exactly. Which yeah. that really hurt all of the work that was done to raise awareness for star voting. I mean, I worked really hard by putting a lawn sign on, <laughs> in my front yard and my neighbors and my dead end road that saw it then didn't know when they filled out their ballot what they were talking about or that was even a ballot measure unless you went by the number and I don't know if that was by design by the people, the powers that be that decide how the wording goes, you know, to kind of work against you. But I'm glad that you guys didn't give up and that you're pushing for more. And we'll get to that in a bit. One of the big things that we're going to go over today, obviously, voting reform is why we're here. And it's so necessary for us to raise awareness about what's happening in Lane County and in, in Oregon in general and how the system is is working against smaller progressive candidates getting their voices heard and the voters a lot of times don't understand how this actually works because people are like oh it's a democracy what does that truly mean it is a republic democracy we pick our we select our leaders so that they can then use our voice but they're supposed to reflect our voice and they don't so we'll get to that so the democrat or the the democratic party's delegate selection process is what we're really going to cover first and so we're going to jump right into it. There was a recent town hall. It was a state central committee meeting of the Democratic Party of Oregon. Right. And there was a lot of fireworks. Yeah. We had our, our uh, second quarter meeting. This is uh, state level politics. And the delegate selection plan has to do with how the delegates for each presidential candidate get allocated after the primary. Right. And this is inside of the Democratic Party. In, yeah, just this for the is, primary. Yeah, what we're going to talk about is just inside of the Democratic Party. Right. Yeah, so what's really key to, to know here is that, you know, when May comes around and you vote in the Democratic primary, your vote is not directly what determines um, the actual delegates that go to the Democratic Party National Convention. It's a representative system. So your votes get taken by the Democratic Party. They then elect delegates to represent each candidate um, using a really specific and detailed process. And the details of those rules can impact the outcome. So it's really important as we're going into 2020 in this presidential race that we have a system that's going to help accurately reflect the will of Oregon voters and that's not going to twist it or empower superdelegates more, or add right. implicit bias. And that's the thing that they have pushed, that the superdelegate... Because, you know, going into... If you're listening and you don't know what a delegate does, let's talk about that first. Yeah, so I was a delegate in 2016. So I... <clears throat> just a quick little history on, on how that comes about. Uh, after the primary, or right before the primary, something like that, I had to let the Democratic Party know which presidential candidate I supported if I wanted to run to be a delegate for that candidate. So I let the I let them know and I was notified of a precinct meeting down in Cottage Grove where all of 
a whole bunch of people that supported Bernie Sanders and a whole bunch of people that supported Hillary Clinton all got together in this really hot gym for a few hours and all voted on who would be a couple of the national delegates based on the voting results. So it is, it is weighted. It's supposed to be representative. Like, do you guys remember the percentage? So Bernie won the primary. Yeah. Bernie won the primary. It was like 57%, 58%, something like that. And we had like 37 delegates to split up. And so Bernie got 57% of those delegates. Right. But then the super delegates come into play. Yeah. The super delegates are completely outside of this. And that's where the the party kind of loses the people, essentially, because they make a determination before any votes cast. Yeah, the super delegates, well, not not technically. Right. So the super delegates aren't tied to any of the candidates. They have a free vote essentially. And the problem was is that almost all of the super delegates here in Oregon didn't go for Bernie Sanders even though Bernie Sanders won every single county in Oregon. Except for one. And that one county that he lost, he lost by one vote. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> yeah, so, and then, so the thing, so how is the superdelegate chosen? The superdelegates are elected Democratic National Committee members. We already know who those five people are here in Oregon. And they're also any federal elected Democrats. So all the congressional district representatives are also superdelegates. And so in the national level, what the superdelegates did is that when you watch coverage like on CNN, MSNBC, whatever about the Democratic primary, they're talking about how Hillary has this delegate lead because you need to get X amount of delegates to get you over the threshold to win the nomination. And so she had this lead before any citizen that hasn't been elected has been yeah so the problem there so they're doing it before the debates they're doing it before you know yeah the problem is the superdelegates don't actually get to vote until the convention which happens after every single primary is done but the media used who the superdelegates had been pledging themselves to in order to kind of tilt the playing field right and make it seem like it was an inevitable result because people a lot of times like to support front runners. That's why they root right. for the warriors. Yeah. And that's you know, really you know. um, what star voting and what voting reform comes in for, because our current system has really strong incentives to not throw your vote away on a candidate that you don't think can win. You should always strategically vote for who you think is viable. Right. And that's a narrative that can actually be used to kind of coerce voters into supporting the establishment into supporting the media picks the swamp uh, like as, as it's being called you know because it, it incumbents win at an alarming rate you know and yet everybody across the board wants change for different reasons you know on the right and the left and yet it's the incumbents that t- that are continuing to to win you know mm-hmm. and yeah these are all the kinds of rules um you know people all say the system's broken the system's rigged but there's a number of ways that it's it's not that it's somebody's cheating specifically. It's that these um, this rigging, this bias in favor of certain types of candidates, certain types of political um, people, that's baked directly into the voting system itself. Right. And I don't think a lot of people, including myself, really understand how it works in the in the primary process because of the parties set their own rules and that's kind of what we're getting into is in the delegate selection process Mm -hmm. and you know it's like with a lot of people thought bernie sanders got screwed in the 2016 primary and 
you know, a couple of my friends had told me, like, you are so naive to think that the party has to answer to the people. Like, you know, you think that just because you saw you align with a certain letter next to your name, that that means that they reflect your interests. And especially, James, you are on a lot and we talk about coalition building inside of the Democratic Party. And there's a growth in the progressive movement inside of it. But there's a, the powers that be in the elite or whatever you want to call it, the establishment. Some people call it corporate Democrats that are working tirelessly to squash that, you know, up uprise. Yeah. You know? a, a lot of what I attribute it to is just a different mentality on where we're coming from when it comes to the approach to politics. So for the most part, the people that I know that are in to reform the Democratic Party are trying to make it a more bottom-up organization where we're listening to the people, we're trying to engage the people and get more people's voices involved in the decision-making. Right. Whereas the establishment and, the, and most of our opposition comes from people who like to take orders from the top. Yeah, that and are backed by big money and that kind of stuff. They can be backed by big money, but, but it's not even so much that as just this mentality that well some of them it's win at all costs and for others it's we want to please our elected officials we want to please the people that hold higher positions than us and so we're going to do what we can to do what they want right so yeah. one of the one of the key uh mentalities here is they basically see us as being there for them Whereas right. I see it as they're there because of us. Right. And that's what's been lost, I think, in not to get off track. But, you know, you see what's happening on the right, that it, the Republican Party is Dem, is Donald Trump. Like at this point, it's it's what it's the it's leadership from the top down. And that's not that's not what politics should be. You right. know, and I had an episode with my friend uh, Zach about Springfield and he's on the school board. Granted, it's a small position, but. The point is, is that he's an average citizen that then became somebody that now is actually making an impact on something that's pretty huge because, you know, he's influencing your children's futures, you know? And so, mm -hmm. so yeah, but so. Yeah. And it's important too, when we're talking about um, Oregon Democratic Party, um, grassroots versus leadership, um, you know, I've only been really paying attention and involved in that sphere for a couple of years, but there has been a specific effort to get really grassroots empowered activists elected to these higher positions. So it's not, um, you know, the leaders against the people on the bottom anymore. It's all mixed. People are sure. trying to, um, get involved in these organizations and change them from the inside. Other people are working really tirelessly to change it from the outside. Right. And that idea of an inside outside strategy to empower the grassroots empower right, the which people, which is good is really strong right now, especially because of what happened in 2016. I think it really inspired a movement. Right, which is great. And then you see a bunch of progressive candidates across the country that are actually becoming viable options. I mean, you look at AOC, who not only knocked out an incumbent in the primary, you know, so that's unprecedented. There's that been some incredible gains. Uh, one of the things that highlights this is two things happening here locally, statewide. One is the pushback against uh, Senate Majority Leader Peter Courtney and what he's allowed to happen in the Senate with regards to sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. Major pushback from party activists and all of, a lot of the county parties around the state. They've all 
most of them have passed resolutions asking for him to resign because of his well, yeah. behavior. Yeah, and that's really unprecedented because um, in the Me Too era, a lot of people have been called out for sexual harassment, for um, personal actions that were like, not anymore. That doesn't fly. Right. What's different about Peter Courtney is that he's not the perpetrator of those actions himself. He's the person who was in the position of leadership to prevent it. Right. So once these things started happening, he could have um, stopped it. Right. And he was in the position of responsibility where he should have stopped it. So what people are really saying is um, not only are our leaders in this position, but we want them to fight for us. We want them to lead on these issues. Exactly. And if they have that position of power, then they have the the sway, and you know, yeah, so, with great I mean, power they, comes they, great responsibility. Right. So it's really you that. see that a lot in sports. That was a thing with Urban Meyer, the coach of yeah. Ohio State. That he was there was allegations against one of his coaches or one of the people on his staff, and he was like, "Let's just wait and see." But it was like there was a photo evidence of of spousal abuse and like a lot of stuff and he's like let's just wait and see and ultimately urban meyer himself was punished for not acting swiftly enough and that's a good thing to see that happening yeah we expect people in those positions of power right to not sit idly by and let these things continue and it's interesting Mm -hmm. that not to get off point with sports but it's interesting that sports that there's an accountability and yet in american politics maybe there isn't or it's inconsistent i think that there is starting to be but the inconsistency is the biggest issue yeah. well, there's a big difference when you have elected officials right they don't they don't have to answer to a boss right except for once every couple of years or 4 years it depends on the election cycle so big difference in that regard so yeah, there's and- call so there's calls for his reg- resignation where would be a good place for people to turn for more information about that is you know i did i throw you on the spot Maybe we'll have to get on to that later. But Well, I know Multnomah County Democrats have been very vocal on it. Uh, Amy Fox with the Multnomah County Dems has been awesome getting this message out and getting the resolutions around all the different county parties. Uh, so I would search Amy Fox, AMI. Cool. Yeah, cool. and um, the Democratic Party Multnomah County has a um, medium account which is for um it's called resistance writers okay so she has an incredible article that she wrote that details the whole thing so if you search resistance writers amy with an i fox um and then peter courtney you should perfect. find that article perfect perfect awesome. and so, then well hang on the, and then the second one that people need to know about was the recent passage of senate bill 1049 which changed purse so this this was a big deal among party people, not party members, in that they felt really betrayed by the legislature uh, for for basically going against the workers. They're putting a lot of the per solutions on the backs of the workers, and yeah, it's it's just been viewed as a huge betrayal. There was a there was a really big outcry from the uh, people on the ground. And it was essentially ignored. So the leadership rushed it through. They did not allow for proper um, hearings on it. And people just felt bum-rushed. Right. And this yeah. is the, the biggest issue from someone like myself, who I would like to think that I'm kind of the voice of my audience, where I'm not. You guys have done a lot of work here at Town Halls. I'm just, I just show up Sunday and record for an hour and bullshit about stuff. But like, 
realistically, the average person has no idea that this stuff is going on. And it's interesting. That's why, you know, the resources that we need to find, like you're saying about the, the resistance writer, for example. Yeah, it's all independent media. It's grassroots efforts to get the word out. Right. It's your podcast. It's um, Social Advance has a little YouTube podcast that does like local news and views and that's local and that's, that's local that's coming out social of social advance yeah and i think what you do james with our revolution lane county is great because you'll share stories that a lot of people like the videos and a lot of people like and you know it's it's back history and it's just grassroots people getting involved so if you're on facebook and you're listening to this podcast and you don't follow our revolution lane county then you're then you're hurting your life you got, you got to do that because there's a lot of really important, you know, that's where I get a lot of my information. And so definitely give that a follow. I'll go ahead and throw that link up in the show notes. Once again, it's usually on almost every episode I do. Yeah. We get a lot of really great input from a whole variety of activists yeah. working in Eugene and it's from people from across housing, the board, homeless, right? Yeah. Um, climate change. Yeah. And I, it's the Bernie Sanders oh, camp yeah. of the party. I mean, that's, but that being said, when you leave, when you read the comments in that section, it's not all Bernie voters, right? which I think is really good. It's just people that are really, I think the big thing that brings them together is money out of politics, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really the issues. It's all about the issues. Uh, it's not about our revolution Lane County. It came out of the Bernie Sanders campaign, but it is not about the Bernie Sanders campaign anymore. It's just, it was about continuing on the issues. Right. Yeah. And so anybody that's interested in those issues, we welcome. It's really about building a movement that can get the job done. It's more than any one person can accomplish on their own. It's more than any one campaign or any one era. Right. This is a long game. Right. So back to the delegation selection process. We got off on that. So what is what is happening with it and what can be done? I mean, it sounds like with these things, when you start to have rules changes and whatnot happen so swiftly and then it's just hmm. it moves on so fast that you're on to the next thing and nothing can be done so and what can be done yeah so that's where it really ties back to everything else we've talked about accountability and allowing people to have that input when these things are drafted in the first place so that we get a version that people are okay with right so what we had here was the delegate selection plan um there's some basic rules that are passed down from national those are pretty good they say like divide it proportionally among the candidates. Any candidate that doesn't get 15% of the votes in general from the voters um, is like discarded. And then it's divided proportionally between the rest of them. Right. And But what's incredible here about this upcoming Democratic primary is we have a ton of candidates. There's 162 people running for president <laughs> in the Democratic Party. No, there's 22, 23, something 23 like that. Currently. And that's right now. I haven't announced that I'm running. But like, <laughs> uh, so we were going to talk about, and this is very, very important. We were going to talk about some vocabulary. So everybody grab a pen and paper and write down these words, plurality and majority. So Sarah, if you could explain to us, we'll start with plurality. Yeah, so plurality and majority are basically two different thresholds required to win. So a majority means that you need more than half of the votes. A plurality means that you need more votes than any other candidate. So where this gets really important is when we have races with more than two candidates. So if there's only two candidates, somebody's guaranteed to get more than half. 
But when we have three, four, five, six, seven dozens of candidates like the Democratic primary coming up, the odds that you can end up with a couple of similar candidates kind of splitting the majority and you can elect a candidate who is opposed by the majority, that becomes really likely. Right. And then, and that was, and then you got both and then vote splitting is exactly what you were, you were talking about off air, like how that is a huge issue, especially with this many candidates. So that's the third word that I wanted to define. Um, So vote splitting has gone by a lot of names, Um, the spoiler effect, the nadir effect. Vote splitting is basically when a majority ends up not coming together around one candidate. They end up kind of divided between, um, do I like Luke Skywalker or do I like Princess Leia? Well, I like both. Right. And if everyone doesn't strategically vote for, um, you know, Luke Skywalker, you can end up losing. Right. Like Bill Weld is announced that he's running as an, he's running as a Republican and against Trump. I don't know if they'll do debates, you know, but, but, uh, if people are too young or don't know, like Nader in 2000 ran, was it 2000 or was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Ran. And a lot of people believe that he took votes away from Gore. That was tough. I don't want to get off point, but that was different. The thing with Nader, because if he got 5%, then voting reform was going to be considered. Wasn't that right? Like, do you remember that? Um, The way that works is like, if a third party gets 5%, then they get ballot access for the next election. Right. So what they were really trying for was ballot access. They knew they couldn't win the election. Right. But Federal dollars too, I believe. Yeah. And when you break it down state by state, you end up with a scenario where um, in some states like Florida, um, if you added those Nader votes to the Al Gore votes... Gore would have won. And uh, if he had won Florida, he would have won the country and he right. would have won the election. I mean, he did win Florida, but yeah. And there's a bunch of other issues that come into totally. play there. Um, and you know what solves that? You know, non-voters and... You know what would solve that? But, Star voting. <laughs> you know, that if... And uh, so maybe that's... So did we want to talk more about the delegation selection process? Absolutely. Okay. So we'll talk... We're going to get to star voting in a bit. That but, was a good example of plurality voting, though. Yeah. Uh, and, and vote splitting. Where the winner doesn't have a majority. So you yeah. guys are saying that that is a, it, it hurts mm-hmm. when there's a lot of candidates, the plurality. So we do definitely want a majority. Yeah. So this becomes really relevant because the delegate selection plan, um, Oregon voters for 2020, they're going to vote in the primary. There's going to be a lot of candidates that make that 15% threshold. And we want to send our best delegates to the national convention to represent for those candidates. So in 2016, the delegate selection plan required a majority threshold for delegates to get elected. So that meant that if they voted and these delegates didn't have a majority, they would do another round where they eliminate somebody until they do have a delegate that is supported by a majority. And that's a really important thing, even though it required multiple rounds. It means that you get delegates that really represent the people grassroots up. And I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, because you spent all this time preparing for it. Go ahead. So what's changed is that this year they've struck the word majority and now they're only requiring a plurality. So we're going into an election with more candidates, with more risk of vote splitting, with um, huge concerns over plurality voting in general and we're backsliding instead of actually changing the rules to make for more accurate elections under these kinds of circumstances we're going into an example where 
the fail scenario is really likely and we're actually making it worse. Yeah, elections integrity folks will talk all day about the dangers and the horribleness of plurality voting. Uh, Sarah, who is it that you've been working with? Um, yeah, so I'm a, a member of the Election Integrity Caucus and the Voting Reform Work Group. And the Democratic Party platform really has a lot of examples of calling for not only national and statewide elections that eliminate vote splitting, that require majority thresholds, that are auditable, that are transparent, but also requiring those same things for our own internal elections. Like if we're calling for that to be implemented as law, we should be walking the walk ourselves. Right. And so I have a really incredible quote here that I want to read. Um, so what we're switching to is plurality at large voting for these delegates. And Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg cited multi-winner plurality voting, quote, as a preeminent way to deny equal opportunity for minority voters and candidates. Congress has specifically banned plurality at large voting for all federal elections, and it's been discarded by most states. No, mo no voting method has been subject to more litigation for its discriminatory impact on local elections. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's the change that that's the direction we're going. Right. Everyone else is like, get us out of here. The system's broken. And we're like, wait, let's. Um, yeah. So what can be done? I mean, is that a done deal for this? No, it's not a done deal. But I, I just want to clarify that the reason that they switched to the plurality voting method was because we're trying to allow for more than just male and female gender. So adding in non-binary to the gender categories when we're electing our delegates kind of threw everything that had been happening for <coughs> the last 20, 30 years or however long we've been doing the majority voting, it kind of threw that for a loop when we're trying to meet the standards that the Democratic National Committee sets for how we're supposed to do these elections. When they made that decision, they didn't talk with any voting method professionals. They didn't talk with anybody from the Elections Integrity Caucus. So I think I wasn't in that room, and, and presumably none of the Elections Integrity Caucus people were in that room, but uh, what it seems like is, is they didn't consider any other majority voting method than the traditional first-past-the-post method, which is how our regular elections are done. And so they determined that in order to meet the requirements of the DNC, the only way they could do that 100% of the time is with plurality voting. Mm -hmm. And this is where the Ele Elections Integrity Caucus had a huge issue and voted uh, as a body to challenge that plurality wording and get that switched back to majority because there are a number of voting methods that will allow us to meet those requirements and meet the majority threshold. Yeah, and the irony there was just thick. They're trying to have a more inclusive process, be more inclusive gender-wise um, to kind of prevent discrimination. And as a and their solution for that is specifically to implement a discriminatory voting method. Right. Like a, right, so right. I think it's not an intentional thing. It's just you get a bunch of people who aren't versed on this super wonky issue trying to come up with a solution really quick. Right. And their um, 
mentality, I think, was like, we don't want too much input because that'll complicate matters. Like they view the grassroots or the progressive or the maybe even the experts as a wild card. They don't know what that feedback's going to be. So rather than have the conversation in a timely fashion, have open meetings, accessible process, they determined that they were going to take that away from the rules committee who was supposed to draft the plan. And the rules committee is elected people from all over the state. Right. And instead have the delegate selection plan for Oregon drafted in an ad hoc committee of people who are all appointed top down by the chair. Right. So, um, and then they passed that in an electronic meeting where not everyone has a good internet connection. Not everyone has that backstory of like, wait, we're passing the delegate selection plan, but what impact could this actually have? A lot of the people on that um, executive committee didn't understand the implications of what they were voting for. They didn't understand that plurality voting, um, you know, what that word even means, much less how absolutely catastrophic it can be for good representation. And on top of that, debate was cut short during that meeting. So we didn't get a chance to talk about the concerns before it got voted on. So it was passed out of that committee meeting, the executive committee meeting. And so our next avenue is to bring this up at the state central committee meeting where we can challenge it. And we may be able to challenge it directly to the DNC. We've already tried to do that and we were denied from the DNC in that regard. But our next state central committee meeting is on June 8th. And we will be making an attempt there to get it changed. I don't understand the pushback that we're getting on this because there was essentially a very small group of people that did not have voter voting method professionals input in making this decision. And as soon as the wider body found out about it, there's been a lot of concerns that were brought up and for them to just ignore our concerns in order to push this through is really frustrating. And it's it's causing quite a lot of tension within the state central committee. So hopefully we will be able to get that addressed and hopefully they'll give us a chance to have our concerns heard. Yeah. This whole process has been super entertaining from a drama aspect. Um, we're coming in after what happened in 2016 with really record low trust in the Democratic Party on a national level, um, really a lot of distrust in leadership on the local level as well. And a lot of people want to see us um, come together, move past that. But when we have things like this coming up where people aren't allowed to have a voice, where legitimate concerns are squashed instead of being debated and resolved in a timely fashion, it just snowballs. So. The Q2 State Central Committee meeting, which happened a couple of weeks ago, people wanted to bring this to the floor. Let's talk about the delegate selection plan. Um, And a lot of things happened leading up to that general meeting. There was a credentialing meeting and those people in a super contentious vote voted to invalidate the meeting that approved the delegate selection plan. So it went from being approved Um, to, no, that actually wasn't a legitimate vote. We still have this on the floor. After the fact? After the fact. And then um, Election Integrity Caucus voted by consensus, with one exception, 
to amend the delegate selection plan to add the word majority instead of plurality to eliminate vote splitting and to make it auditable and transparent. Right. So we went into this general meeting where everybody's in this crowded room. Um, there's an agenda. We're like, we want to amend the agenda. We want to be able to talk about this. And a lot of maneuvering happened to keep this issue from coming to the floor. So that credentials report that invalidated the meeting, that was never heard. Um, the motion to amend the delegate selection plan, that was never heard. We didn't get to it. And what ended up happening after hours of you know going around in circles was that the meeting was adjourned with like a to be continued. Right. So they called a special meeting um, which was requested to be like in person or at least in person for everyone who could make it with the ability to like call or video in for people who can't make the drive last late notice. But what they've announced is that they're going to do that by telephone only. Wow. So we're going to, we're going to have this special emergency meeting to address the stuff that's not even on the agenda. Oh yeah. And it's all telephone right. from like hundreds of people from around the state. Right. So, so just the odds that we're going to be able to be effective under those circumstances. Right. It's just rough. Yeah. I just want to make one small correction. The uh, credentials committee can't vote to invalidate the executive committee meeting. But what they did vote for was to recommend that the state central committee invalidate that meeting. Mm, so that would have come to the floor and then all of the state central committee members um, would have voted Right. right. To yeah. That. That. Yeah. That would come to the floor during the credentials report, and then we would be able to have that discussion as a larger body. So. Right. And that so. that'll have to happen at the June eighth meeting, now. Yeah. So, and again, that's something that's not on the agenda. So people have to fight to even get to talk about that. And I know this. So for the average listener, I know that this is super confusing, and I know that a lot of people are like, "Okay, this is why we." want people to kind of make these decisions for us because they got they don't have time they got their jobs their busy lives you know and that's why what you guys do is so important because you're there fighting for this and and hopefully getting heard you know and so it does highlight the value in representative democracy because the details that you need to get into to understand and follow these things not everybody can do no. and work a full-time job and raise a family and take care of your home and all the, right. all the other things everybody needs to do to survive. It, it's just not possible. So. No. And you know, for a lot of the people that are doing this work, like you guys, it's, it's not a paid thing, <laughs> you know, that no. people don't understand. It's like, they're just doing this because they have passion. It's all volunteers. All, the exactly. Whole, the whole party. Is the mayor an unpaid position in Eugene? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. I think she gets a stipend, but it's not very much. Right. You know, I mean, she gets to determine like the getting the potholes on her drive home from work. Fixed. Yeah, you can't raise a family. But, you can't raise you know, a family on the stipend. And people don't understand that. People have no concept of like, Kitty uh, Piercy. I mean, she's not the mayor anymore, but people are still mad about her being the mayor because they think she is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this in, in reality, like this is the funny thing about it is people just don't understand how this stuff works. Now... With star voting, that was a knock when I had told some people about it, how overcomplicating it is. And I'm like, you're so ridiculous about it because it is you, a lot of the work in the rules and the delegation selection process and all that kind of stuff is really confusing, you know? And I know that when people listening to this, they're probably getting lost and that's my fault. But 
when it comes to picking candidates and you get to that point to looking at your ballot, it's not that complicated to do a scoring system. If you don't understand each candidate, then you can leave it blank. Yeah, <laughs> it's, o- it's only yeah. A, a small step above in complexity than how we vote now. Right. And I think but the, the advantages thing, are so much better when it comes to totally the electing biggest, who the biggest people thing is, is that you can continue doing it the way that you've done it by wor- voting for one candidate and then moving on if that's what you prefer. Right. Exactly. And where people really get confused um you know both with the delegate selection plan, the Democratic Party stuff and just with voting in general is understanding our current system. Right. So if we're moving on from the delegate selection plan and the Democratic Party stuff, just talking about elections in general, um, we have a two-party system where you vote in a primary election and then the top two advance to the general election. Um, The primary has pretty low turnout. You end up kind of getting rid of a bunch of candidates there when a bunch of people aren't paying attention a lot of the time. And you can end up with really unrepresentative results. Meanwhile, there's really strong strategic incentives to, like I said, vote for the front runner on your side who's raised the most money so that you don't waste your vote. And understanding those nuances and the way those rules impact the outcomes is critical to having fair representation. So the system's got tons of bias in favor of people who get it, in in favor of people who you know, can wade their way through this political science. Right. Because people are always like, how did it get to these two candidates? Well, this is exactly how. Yeah. So, I mean, so star voting um, really simplifies the process dramatically. It would just be one election in November. You don't have to worry about wasting your vote. You don't have to worry about strategic voting. You can vote your conscience, show who's your favorite candidate, five stars. Um, Who do you prefer to who? Who's your worst candidate? Zero stars. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going to be coming up on the horizon as far as star voting? Because there is some changes and some new news. So can you touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who are paying attention, in 2018, we ran a ballot initiative to pass star voting for Lane County elections, so the county commissioners. That got 47.6% of the vote. And Eugene voters and a lot of Springfield voters supported it too. But Eugene voters voted yes, 54%. So we barely lost Lane County-wide, but really put this on the map. It really poll-tested and said that even though this is a new idea, things people hadn't heard of it. Like you said, the ballot title, which we don't get to control, was like super confusing. Right. Um, so we really came out of that invigorated, re-inspired, and basically hungry. We were like, wow, this there's demand. We can do this. We've already built the foundation. And we're not giving up. Right. And it's cool that it's only two years later that you're not, you're not waiting a full four-year cycle. That it's, you know, two years later you can... Now you learn from the mistakes maybe or the things, the shortcomings, whatever you want to call it, that mm-hmm. happened. I mean, progress is slow a yeah. lot of times. Our biggest obstacle was really that education and outreach, particularly rural outreach. Of right. Getting our team out, talking to people in all of these small communities around Lane County. What we saw was that anywhere we had done any voting education at all, voted yes. Anywhere we hadn't done any um, outreach where we didn't have any lawn signs, those places voted no. Totally. I mean, and it's so tough. You know, I didn't hear about it until pretty late in the process. And as a barber, 
I do have not James Barber, but an, <laughs> no, as a, as a barber by trade, I do have a connection with a lot of people. And so when I was talking about it, engaging with the entire room, people were pretty supportive. They're like, wait a minute, that's cool. Because, you know, then I can really, I, you know, it doesn't take too much more effort. And I was surprised on how broad the demographic that was liking it was, you yeah. know, it was older, younger, conservative progressive you know absolutely yeah it's super nonpartisan issue everyone um across the spectrum is pretty much in consensus that the system's broken and all we need is one solid solution that will get the job done so going into 2020 we're launching two new campaigns so one of them is going to be star voting for city of eugene since we already know that eugene voters support this and that if we pass it would implement star voting for the Eugene mayor's elections and Eugene city council. Which is huge, huge. Yeah. So know. for that initiative, our process is that we're going to start, we're going to submit paperwork tomorrow Wow. and hopefully get to start collecting signatures for July, August, and September. So we're recruiting volunteers for that. We need um, skilled canvassers too. And Eugene has got a slew of issues. I live in Springfield, so I just watched from the outside, like watching it burn. And so it's good that you could have different voices and, and be viable as, yeah. a, as an option for mayor, you know, because not that they're doing. I mean, I hate it when people that live in Springfield are like, oh, my God, it's so much better. What's happening over here? I'm like, well, you have a third of the size and you have a lot. You don't have the, like the university to push you around <laughs> and all the major issues that happen. It's just a much different thing. You know, we're going to do an episode on the 16th about homeless outreach. Because what's happening, the biggest issue in Eugene, and this is off the point of what we've talked about today, but just foreshadowing for the future, that the biggest issue I see is, is that there's homeless shaming and that people are pointing fingers and not wanting any solutions. So, you know, I think that's really going to be good to talk Can I, about. Can uh, yes, I make can. a comment about, from a candidate's perspective, how star voting might look? Um, you know, I ran for Lane, East Lane County Commissioner in 2018. And as a candidate, it's really tough when we have five or six people on the ballot and when we get the results at the end of the election and all the votes are split up. So as a candidate, I have no idea if voters liked me, if they liked my platform. I can only make a guess based on how many votes I got. But it doesn't tell me if maybe I lost barely because there was somebody that they liked just a little bit better. Sure. So do so do I as a candidate? Should I continue in my efforts, or or do I read the loss as a complete rejection? Right. I have no idea. Well, but someone it, like but you with star voting when there's preferential scoring, I can see that. I can see how many points I get at the beginning, and and if I don't make it in the top two, maybe I was just barely out of it. You know, maybe there was a lot of people that scored me just behind their top choice. So there's a there's a lot that I can read into it and know that, okay, there is support in this community for the ideas that I'm talking about right. you know, for for me as a as a candidate. And so I think from a candidate's perspective and from a voter's perspective, it could help us to get candidates to stick around and not just make a shot at it one time and then give up because they got <clears throat> slaughtered. Right. Yeah. And a big part of um having an election that's accurate with multiple candidates in the race and being able to just skip the primary and go straight to the general election 
is that that makes it a lot more accessible to kind of grassroots candidates and people who may not be career politicians, people right. who may not be able to quit their day job to just campaign for a year straight. Right. Um, and that's what people are wanting, you know, across the board. So, and yeah. I think it's such a good idea, you know, to start with the county commissioners, you know, those kind of things, because it's not Senate, you know, you know what I mean? So, you're, I mean, it's, a, it's very important. I sometimes think that the local stuff is more important in a way, but I think it's a great sample size, you know, of like, I think when we did anyone listening to this, I really think that you should go back and listen to that episode. I will, it's, I can't remember what episode number, but it's called star voting. And you guys did a great job of, of covering it all and making it, you know, for layman's terms for idiots like me. We don't have a lot of time left. We've got like five more minutes. Sure. But well, um, you ahead. had asked about the upcoming campaigns and I got halfway through. Sorry. So we're launching star voting for, for city of Eugene filing paperwork on Monday. We're also going to file paperwork for star voting for Lane County again. Right. So that will be two campaigns simultaneously. We'll be out collecting signatures for both at the same time. And the magic there is if people were to vote yes on both, it would really streamline the process. Not mm. only would it pass our voting just for local elections in general instead of just some, but in doing so, it would really save money because we're eliminating that primary for two races. So that's just less ballots they'd have to send out. And right. So it would be separate otherwise? You know, um, if you say we don't have city elections on the primary ballot anymore, but there's still a primary ballot with other elections right. on it. It's like they still have to send that ballot, so that costs money. Oh, I see. If you're able to implement something, um, you know, in general across the board, that just translates to cost savings, sure. consistency, and less confusion for voters. And all of this information is updated constantly on starvoting. Or is it? Yeah, starvoting. Us is our website, and that's in the show notes. So. That'll be good for people to, you know, help out. And then they can get on there to find out about canvassing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a link to sign up. Please sign up to volunteer. This is um, talking to, to you, get Blair. our email list. Seriously, Blair. Blair we would it, love Blair. to have you. Yeah. No, th that's so that's my fan. So uh, I'm, I don't want to cut it short because I know there's so much that we went over and I hope we didn't lose everybody. I think that the big things that we can take from today is plurality versus majority and why plurality is not effective you know and that doing it over again and taking the time is actually what we need to do and so that's a big step in voting reform so hopefully we didn't bore you today i appreciate both of you guys coming oh just to let you know i looked it up it's episode 10 it's episode 10 voting. is the star voting one and it was with sarah wolf and mark fronmeyer and I think you guys did an awesome job of getting that across. And so nothing is, has changed as far as the execution of it. It's just going to be covering Eugene specifically and also Lane County. Exactly. Yeah. The the ballot initiative and the charter amendments there are substantially the same. It's just trying to tighten up the wording. And our real hope and prayer is that the city and county will give us a better ballot title this time. Right. Because that was that confusing wording. It's not up to us to decide what words they use. But we're like, we're trying to pass star voting. Please call it star voting. Right. And so go on Facebook and search star voting and follow that as well. Uh, is there link on there's links on the website to the social media stuff? I'm sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. On Facebook, star voting and also star voting Lane County are our pages. Right. Um, you can also find star voting on Twitter, on Reddit, on Instagram. 
So everybody listening, talk to your friends about it a little bit, kind of toss the idea around and listen to that episode number 10 of the Spent the Rent podcast because it gives you a full overview. I don't know how many times I can say that. And what we're hoping to do is have a lot of practice balance that, that will come out so people can get familiar with it. And those should originate on the website. Yeah. So, um, starvoting.us is our website for information about the campaign, about the movement. We actually have a separate website that's just a voting tool. So if you want to have your own election for the board of your committee, if you want to, um, vote on like changing your logo, which graphic design do we like best, go to star.vote. And that's just a super user-friendly tool where you can put in your question, um, which color scheme do we like best? And then vote like on the different lot. options. I like that a lot in the way that when you're doing just a simple fun pool, poll, you know, that you could say, cause sometimes people give you three choices and you can say, I like this one and this one, this one I'm not a fan of. Yeah. I like that a lot because it gives you so much more data, you know, which my girlfriend will appreciate. She's got a master's in analytics, but, but yeah, uh, we're hoping people will, will use it and practice it and get used to it. Cause right. it's really, once you get comfortable with it, it's, it's a no brainer. Right. So thanks again, you know, James, Sarah, it's always a pleasure to have you. And James is always on the show. Even when he's not the guest that week, he's sitting in the back. <laughs> so, so I love it here. We, we've, uh, and you know, you say you love it and look around the audience doesn't know because they can't see you, but one of the, these days we'll make this video, but I just figured that I don't want to put on clothes. So we're going to end it with that. <laughs> so, this is a treat. I'm going to play a throwback. This is a song that I chose from a good friends of mine, uh, their band Right Left Grand. And this was live at Lucky's in 2007. So it's quite a while ago, but this is my buddy's uh, Right Left Grand, Make It Easy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.